Testament. And Paul wrote most of the New Testament. It's by a man named Paul. And he's writing to a specific church in an area of the world called Thessalonica. And this church is unique because Paul and a friend of his, Silas, they traveled to this area of the world, Thessalonica, and they started telling people about the story of Jesus and how you could have a relationship with God through Jesus and what he did. And they formed a church. And Paul and Silas uh, take off, and this church kind of hangs around and stays and becomes uh, neighbors and friends to the people in their community. Now, the story of how the church started is actually in the book of Acts, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But Paul cares deeply for this church because he started it. And in the first chapter, these 10 verses we just read, he just compliments them. He talks about all the good things that are happening in this group of people. And he talks at first about how they received the message, how they came to faith in the first place. They came to him, Paul and Silas came to the, to the area, and they started telling the story of Jesus, and people started believing. And so there were these people who did not believe the story of Jesus at first, and when they heard Paul and Silas start to talk about Jesus, they believed it. It was a private belief that they had for themselves. This is kind of how they started to come to faith, was this idea. Like, in their heads, they believed what Paul and Silas were saying. But it, it wasn't just this idea that they agreed to in their heads. It was an emotional connection and a spiritual connection as well. Because Paul says, not only did you believe it, but you experienced it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the, the movement of God. We've talked about that a lot here. But the Holy Spirit is the movement of God. It's um, when we experience God when we're in worship, or when we're having dinner with friends, or when we hear a baby laugh. It's, it's the areas of our life where we go, oh, I know God is there. And, and that's so the Holy Spirit is moving, and it's convincing people of this idea. So they have this private belief, they have a private experience with God, and they start to gather together. But their faith doesn't just end with this private gathering of people who believe certain things and experience certain things. It starts to affect the people around them. So it affects them in two ways, and it affects them. is One, they undergo suffering because now they have this private belief, this private experience with God. And so people in the community are not happy about this Jesus story because it, it upsets what they believe or it upsets how they live. And so they're not happy about it all. And, and in the story of Acts, when the church starts to be planted, Paul and Silas start to talk to these people in Thessalonica. They believe the good news, and the other people are, are mad. So there are these group of people who do not like the story of Jesus, and so they start gathering a mob together, and they have these kind of violent uh, outbreaks. They riot in town. They go to the home of a man who they think is housing Paul and Silas, and so they like terrorize him and kind of like camp out in his yard and try to get, they're just, they're done with this Jesus story. They don't want to have anything to do with it. And even 
in the middle of the, all, all that, the church has to sneak Paul and Silas out of the city in order that they might stay safe. And so when Paul is writing to this letter, he's thinking about the suffering that he underwent when he was there in the city, and he's saying that you guys are still going through this. Uh, I'm gone, I've moved somewhere else, but you guys are still going through this difficult time where you're wrestling with suffering. But the reason he knows this is not just because of his experience when he was in town, he knows this because news of their suffering is spreading to other areas of the world. So other cities are hearing, this is what's going uh, with the Thessalonian church. This is what's going on with them. And we are encouraged by their suffering. We believe more in the power of this good news because we, we understand that people are going through suffering because of what they believe, but it has not let them quit on their faith. And they love their community, and they take care of their community, and they share in their sufferings. This is good news for the people. So not only does Paul, do Paul and Cyrus, Silas hear about the sufferings of the people, but also they hear about the victories that they're having as well. Because it says when Paul and Silas go to different areas and they're going to preach the good news, there are places where the good news has already shown up, where they're trying to tell them the story of Jesus and people have already heard the story of Jesus because they've heard of what the Thessalonian church is doing. So you have this group of people who have this private belief this private experience of the Holy Spirit, and they gather together on a regular basis. Maybe it's every day, maybe it's every week, and it's probably in a home, like they didn't have church buildings back then. So they're probably meeting in different homes, and they're gathering together, and they're sharing all these stories of what God is doing in their life, and because they're suffering for it, there are people in town who are rioting, and uh, you have this like mob mentality where they're trying to kick the church out. Because of the suffering, other people in other towns are hearing about what's going on. But also, because of their good works, because of how much they love this story of Jesus and what he can do in our lives, other people are hearing it as well. So, for the Thessalonian church, it is impossible for them to keep their beliefs private and just to themselves because it impacts every single area of their life. And if we think about this idea of you believe what you believe and I believe what I want, want to believe and we'll just, we'll just keep it private and we won't really talk about it, that's really, it's, it's kind of impossible to do because no matter what you believe, your beliefs always affect your behavior. And this is true not just with like big giant like spiritual things, it's true with the way we live our lives. If you are going to a concert or a football game and you think you're parking in a bad neighborhood, you're gonna make sure your doors are locked. You're gonna make sure your valuables in your trunk, or you might even move your car to a different parking lot and pay a little more so that you know that you're okay. Why? Why do you change your behavior? Because your beliefs dictate your behavior. If you believe that Elvis Presley is the greatest singer of all time, which a lot of people in this town do, 
and then you're gonna listen to Elvis records and you're gonna have Elvis stuff in your home and sometimes in your car. And when you have conversations with people about music, you're gonna talk about Elvis. And did you see this Elvis documentary that was on the other day? You're, gonna, you're going to live in a way that says, I really like Elvis music, right? Like if you love certain things, if you believe certain things, if certain things impact your life, you're going to be public about it. It's impossible to separate your beliefs from your behavior. And this happens both ways. There are studies that show that if you have negative beliefs about what your future is like, that you will live into those. In other words, if you don't think that you can get a job that you want, that no matter what job you have, you're probably gonna work less and you're gonna be less efficient and you're just not gonna work as much. If you believe that you're never gonna get healthy, then you're probably gonna eat worse and exercise less. Because our beliefs dictate our behavior. We live into what we believe. But the Thessalonian church has this belief that we can have a relationship with God through Jesus. And so they can't keep it private and they have to tell other people about it. Now this doesn't mean that we stand up like with picket signs about how God hates everybody. Uh, it doesn't mean that we get in people's face and force them to believe by twisting their arm to believe what we believe. But it does mean that we can talk about our faith openly and without shame. Because why wouldn't we talk about what we believe if we actually believe it? If we believe that we can have a relationship with God and we have experienced that in our own life, why would we keep it private? Is that even possible? No, it's not. So why would we? Our beliefs dictate our behavior. And this is seen through all, all throughout history and it's also been seen in like my own personal life. Um, when I... I grew up in the church, and I've, I've told a lot of people this, so if you've heard this before, I'm sorry, but I grew up in the church, but I didn't get serious about my faith until my freshman year of college. And I turned 40 about a week and a half ago, and um, my wife is amazing, and so she got all these people um, throughout the past like 40 years of my life who I've known, people who I haven't seen in a very long time, to write me different letters, um, just encouraging me for my 40th birthday uh, 40th birthday letters. So um, some of people, some people sent pictures and um, I was talking with a group of friends about uh, one of the pictures that I had and there's this person from a long time ago, like over 20 years ago, who was part of my life. And um, I started thinking, they were asking me about this person and I started thinking about this person in my life and um, I was very good friends with them in high school and even at the beginning of college. But when I started getting serious about my faith and started really believing this whole thing about uh, God and having a relationship with him, um, this person did not care uh, at all. And um, we got in a lot of trouble together growing up. And so I was, I was still pretty young. Like I said, this is over 20 years ago. But I had to make this decision because I had this belief, but every time I was with this person, my behavior didn't really match my belief. And so I had to make this decision to separate myself from this person because they had such a deep negative impact on my life at the time. And I was in the process of becoming a new person. And 
I, I know it's common for us to lose touch when we leave high school. And, and so, and I also, I'm not saying that we don't spend time with non-Christians at all. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying there was a time in my life where my behavior didn't add up to what I said I believed. And I had to make a difficult decision to say, no, no, no. I believe this so strongly that um, I can't help but, but behave in a way that lines up with what I believe. And I had to make a decision to separate myself from a friend. And that person like, is living a, a fine life now. That's not even to say anything negative about that person. It's just I remember vividly having to come to this decision where if I say that I believe this, then I have to be, behave in a way that's in line with what I believe. Um, there are these, uh, you can, I'm kind of interested in church history, and there are times throughout the history of the church where it's, it's grown very quickly, and there's times when it's declined, and this has happened all around the world. So there are places right now where the church is declining. So Western Europe and Canada, Australia, even the U.S., the less and less people are going to church. The church is declining. But there are other places around the world where the church is growing by leaps and bounds right now. China, uh, Southern Africa. There are places where the church is just growing so fast they can't even count the number of churches that are being planted. And there's this interesting story about the growth of the church in uh, the 14th century. So around early 1300s, um, the Black Plague was running through Europe and people were dying left and right. It was, there were people who were falling asleep healthy and literally waking up dead the next morning. And they were trying to figure out what started it and how it was spread. And at the time, they thought that it could be airborne, that you, like a flu virus or a cold or something like that. And um, so people in cities were leaving the cities because they were trying to get away from people because they were scared they were going to catch the plague and they were going to die. So people moved way out into the country and like, lived in the middle of the woods just in order to stay alive, in order to stay healthy. But as people were fleeing the cities, it was Christians who stayed in the cities to care for the sick. And so at the time, lots of people in the church thought, I could very well die by helping this person, but this person does not need to suffer and die alone. So I'm going to go and be there for them in their dying moments and in their dying days. And because of that, the church spread because the only people that were left in the cities were the people who were sick and church people. Because the church had this idea, if we believe what we say we believe, then we have to live in line with what we say we believe. And this is what we're called to do. But it starts with the good news. It starts with this faith and trust in God. And I'm not saying like we have to be perfect and we have to have our theology exactly right. But it has to start with this idea of faith. Because we can't behave a certain way and, and hope that the faith comes later. It has to start with this trust and it can be very small, and it can still be filled with times of doubt, and I'm not really sure what God is doing, but it has to start with faith. And it'll just move us in a direction that honors God. I firmly believe this. 
Um, since we started SOMA, we have lots of conversations, especially uh, Danielle, our Spanish pastor, and uh, me have conversations with different people. And one of the questions we get a lot is, uh, are we trying to make some statement? Like, are we trying to make some social or political statement by gathering people from all over into one room? And our answer is like, no, we're not, we're not trying to make any specific statement. We're just trying to do what God has called us to do. We believe in a God who loves all people. We believe in the, the dignity of humanity because we are created in God's image and God loves all of us. And it does not matter where you come from or how much money you make or what language you speak or what your past is like. And that's what caused us to come together this way. So if we're making a statement, fine, but the statement we're making is this, is that we can have a relationship with God because of what Christ has done. That's our statement. And that's true for everybody. That's our statement. Because our beliefs dictate our behavior. How we live and operate as a church is dictated by this idea that God cares about us and we can have a relationship with him because of what Jesus did. This is what moves us and drives us to do every single thing we do as a church. This is why we exist. Because our beliefs dictate our behavior. So what does this have to do with community? I mean, we've talked about this like more of a personal basis, right? Our private belief ends in public behavior that we do as individuals. But here's why this is amazing for the idea of community is because this entire chapter, all 10 verses, as Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, he says over and over, I'm so proud of you. This is, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but this is what he says. I'm so proud to hear the things that God is doing in your midst. But he just addresses everybody. He never lists any names. He doesn't say, thank you, this pastor, or this leader, or this elder, or this worship leader, or this person who gives all this money to the church. He just says, you guys, together, because what God is doing in your midst is amazing. And other people are coming to faith because of what God is doing in your midst. And other people are hearing about your suffering because of what God is doing in your midst. And so there's this group of people who... They don't have a name as individuals. They have a name as the church in Thessalonica where we are making a difference and impact on our world because of what Christ has done for us. And when we come together and one of us has suffered, then we can come alongside that person and say, I am sorry you're suffering. I share in your sufferings. Let me bear some of that suffering for you. And when we have joys and one person come in and said, this amazing thing happened in my life because of what Christ has done, then we can come alongside and say, we celebrate that with you. We lift you up. We encourage you because we see what God is doing. And this is the type of community we want to be. A community that comes together and shares with one another our joys and our burdens. And because we're doing that, we are irresistible to the outside world. And there are people who, uh, they can love us or they can hate us, but they look at us and they say, something is going on there. This is the type of community that we want to be. 
And if, you, if you're in a place where you just want to keep your faith private, I'm here to tell you, that's not possible. Because if you just want to keep it to yourself, eventually it's going to die. Because faith is supposed to be shared. We're supposed to live in community with one another. And even though we live in a world where we can get food delivered to us and we can have people drive us anywhere we want to go and we can stay in our houses and be entertained as long as we want to, it's very easy to isolate ourselves and separate ourselves. But that is not what we're called to do. We're called to impact the world around us. And we're called to impact the world around us through the relationships that we develop with each other and through the bearing of one another's burdens and through the sharing of our joys and victories together. When Paul is writing to this letter, he's not writing to one person. He's writing to a group of people who have been changed and shaped by the good news. And because they have been changed and shaped by the good news, they are changing and shaping the the world around them with the good news. So this is what we're called to do.